express our gratitude, Lord. For where would we be, Lord, without the blood, God? Where would we be, Lord? I thank you, Lord, tonight for all that you've done. We thank you, God, and give you praise. Go ahead and give him praise tonight. We give you praise, God, for all that you've done, God. We glorify you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. You can be seated. Thank you. Thank you tonight. That was great. He didn't have his mic, his guitar mic, so we decided we would just do it old school style. Well, how is everyone? Let me get my notes open here. What did you say? Fearfully and wonderfully made. Sometimes we feel like we're, it's more fearful than wonderful. I guess that depends on who you are, though, right? Or who you ask. Tonight, I'm glad to be here. This will be my last Wednesday night. Mike will be back next week. So y'all need to act good tonight. Y'all... Well, I have to, I made a, I told some people Sunday what I, a topic I was going to be teaching on tonight, but then I have to renege. I know, I know. That's why I, I just want to see if I get you here, Tim. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I am going, I was going to be talking about the demonic, dealing with the demonic, and I'm still going to, but I'm going to have, it's going to take me three to four weeks to actually do it justice. If I come in here and I just, I'm just going to be set on blast and it's just going to be a whole lot of just information and me talking really fast and I do that anyway. And I need about three or four weeks and I'm going to put it in the Spirit, Soul, and Body series because we really do have an epidemic in our land. Once the house is clean and swept, and so I don't, I'm not going to get into that. But tonight, we're going to keep talking about, do you have a sword? Do you have a sword? Y'all been working on, how many of y'all been doing your 90-day Bible reading? Look at this. That is great. I am so proud of y'all for doing that. I think it's just amazing. Mike is doing it. And he's going he, he's gonna to finish in 45 days. And he said he's going to do it again. He said, I'm going to read it twice in 90 days. See, a lot of people are like, we can't do that. But then they got started doing it. They're like, you know what? We can do this. And then people started saying, do you know, they've been, I have been hearing report after report of people coming to me saying, I am understanding the Bible more than I ever have reading it that fast and in chronological order. I'm hearing it all the time. I'm like, I don't want to say I told you so, but, but I did tell you so. So tonight, I want you all to turn to 2 Kings 13, and I'm just going to ramp up to that in just a second. So the question is, do you have a sword? And you know where we have been, I'm not going to read it again, I'll just kind of quote it-ish, is whenever Jesus told the disciples, he said, when I sent you out the first time, I didn't send you with anything, and you didn't lack anything, right? You didn't, he said, but now when I send you, I want you to take a purse, I want you to take your coat, I want you to take a cloak, I want you to take your, I want you to take a sword, right? And he said, if you don't have a sword, what do you do? Sell your cloak and buy a sword. So what we're looking at there is Jesus told his disciples to take a sword, get a sword, buy a sword, sell what you must, but prioritize a sword. That's what he's saying. 
Make the sword a priority. So what's the sword for? Well, we know what a sword is for. I brought, don't worry, I won't unsheath it. I got a big one now. Somebody let me borrow a big one. So that's a sword for you right there. What? It is. Well, that's what we've been talking about. So the sword. So what's a sword for? It's to defend and defeat. It's to stand and advance. Jesus' command to prioritize a sword is letting us know that there will be war. But what kind of war? Well, Ephesians 6 and 12 says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So the sword is not going to be for your brothers and sisters, right? Ephesians 1, 18 through 23. I just want you to listen as I read this. So we're battling who? Recap that for me. Who? Spiritual wickedness in high places. So here's Ephesians 1, 18 through 23. Just listen to this. Pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. That's good already. He's called you to a hope. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him in his right hand in heavenly places, far above all. All rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. He did all of that for one group of people to be for the church. Don't tell me you don't like church. You don't like Jesus, which is his body. The church is his body. He's the head over his body. And we're on, I can't see you all like that, but I know you're there. We are here on earth and he is the head seated above all principality, power, dominion, rulers, authority, every name that is named. And he did all of that to give the fullness to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's why when I hear somebody talking smack about the church, I want to smack them. I do. I do. Especially when it's Christians. You know, you know if it's the body and you're a part of the body and if you bite and devour the body and don't feel it, then are you connected to the body? Because if right now, if I have you stick your finger in your mouth and bite it, you're going to feel it. If you have your neighbor stick their finger in your mouth and bite theirs, then you don't care at all. Because you're not connected. So we need to realize 
that we can't, we can't be talking about the church. I don't want to talk about a man's bride. So, okay, we've got these sure promises. I just read them all to you. And we've got a weapon. The sword is our weapon. But the reality is this, and this is what drives home the fact. The sword, the promise that I just read you, that's our weapon. The promise is our sword. Now, we're going to look at a case study from the Old Testament of this. It's a different, it's a different weapon in the Old Testament, but it'll still work the same way. 2 Kings 13, we're going to begin reading in verse 14, and we're going to read through 19. How many is already here in the reading? I don't know. Is this part of, are you that far yet? Huh? You're past it? Way past. See, guys, guys, I've already finished. You're, she started late. She didn't get in. She's doing her own thing. That's good. You'll read it chronologically next time, won't you? That's good. So here we are, 2 Kings. So some of y'all are very familiar with this. Now, Elijah had been suffering from the illness from which he would die. Jehoaz, the king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elijah, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elijah said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, or Syria, Elisha declared. You will completely de destroy the Arameans or the Syrians at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows. The king took them. Elisha said, strike the ground. And he struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely. Can somebody say completely? Completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. I mean, this is a perfect case of the New Testament story in Mark 9 of the father who brought his son to Jesus to have a demon cast out, the one who fell in the fire and the water and had seizures and different things, and, and the disciples couldn't cast it out, and, and the man said something incredible to Jesus. He said, if you're able to do anything, please help my son. He said, if I can. He said, all things are possible if you only believe. And the man says this, I do believe. Help my unbelief. How many of us feel like that sometimes? I do believe. Help my unbelief. I've just kind of started looking at the belief and unbelief is that we, want, we always have both present all the time, don't we? We just want to have that belief greater than the unbelief. Because we're not going to be able to shift anything until we have more belief than we do unbelief. So we have here this scenario Elisha, Elisha is angry with the king. He's angry. But we understand there's some belief working and there's some unbelief working. I mean, he's in the room with the king. He's in the, the king's in the room with the prophet. 
He's, he's walked in and he said something very specific. What did he say? When he walked in the room, the man of God is dying. This is his sickness on his deathbed. What does he say? Because of what he said, right? My father, my father in the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Where have we heard that before? That's what Elisha said to Elijah when Elijah was being taken to heaven in a whirlwind, in a chariot of fire. So it sounds like the king is positioning himself for something from Elisha. But here's the problem with the whole scenario. Elisha's angry here, and I don't know why. If you just read it, a straight reading. What is it that stands, when you just read that as a straight reading, what stands out to you a little bit? If that's you and you're in that scenario, what's the problem? He, I heard it. Who said, he didn't know the rules of engagement. Did, he didn't know. I mean, if something that big is going to be riding on it, could you not give me a little bit of heads up? It's what it seems like, doesn't it? That's what it looks like if you don't look any deeper. But we're going to look deeper tonight. Because here is the problem number one. You know, Elisha gives him the shoulda, coulda, woulda. You shoulda done this, and you coulda, if only you woulda. But he didn't. First problem was the king was not ready for the prophetic. Now, what do you mean by that? The king is walking into Elisha's bedchamber, asking for an anointing. Where did we see Elisha prior to receiving Elijah's anointing? Following, following. And Elisha poured water on the hands of the prophet. He was serving him. He was preparing. He said, if you see me when I go. So we have here, we have a king. Just show it up. Just show it up. I need a word. I, this happens all the time in modern churches. People come in. They're desperate. They need something. They need a word. I need God to do something right now. I mean, we have far more words given to people than we have people working in the word they've been given. I mean, we don't have any receptacles built for it. And this is what we see here. There's a word that's gone out to him, but he doesn't have the spiritual capacity to even comprehend what he's asked for or what's going on. He wasn't ready for it. Here's what it says in um, Peter. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to your goodness knowledge, and to your knowledge, self-control, and to your self-control, add perseverance, and to your perseverance, add godliness, and to your godliness, add mutual affection, and to your mutual affection, add love, and 
For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Wow. So you're telling me I can't just show up every now and then without doing anything to increase in what I mean, Christ, I wrote, I read it to you from Ephesians. All the things he's done, he has accomplished it, lock, stock, and barrel. It is so done, it's finished, it's completed. You're victorious, you're victorious, you're victorious, you're victorious, you're victorious. You, 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 you. If you're in Christ, you're victorious, victorious, victorious. But if you don't learn how to take the faith and add godliness, and add self-control. If you don't know how to walk that out, then the victory that is yours, as much as it's mine, will never be accomplished. Because if we're not walking it out and adding and adding and increasing and increasing, it seems like to me we might show up and be actually ineffective and unproductive. Am I reading it wrong? So we all, we all start small. We do. We all start small. The Bible says don't despise the day of small beginnings. Just keep on growing. Grow in your faith. Grow in goodness. Grow in knowledge. Grow in self-control. You ought to have more self-control this time next year than you have now. You ought to have more What are you saying, Andrea? I'm saying you ought to have more. Because that's what the grace of God gives you, is the ability to grow. So Matthew 13 says this. You can also see this in 20. Jesus said it twice. If he said it twice, he must mean it. He said it in Matthew 13 and in Matthew 25. Whoever has, more will be given. Whoever has not, even what he has will be taken away. What? That seems rude. He says it again in Matthew 25. Whoever has, more will be given. Whoever has not, even what he has will be taken from him. So in other words, he's talking about revelation. Anyone who has revelation... More will be given to him because it's assumed he'll be using the revelation. Anyone who has not, even what small measure of revelation he has, will be taken from him. You can increase in the things of God, and you can also decrease in the things of God. We're, there's no, we have to have a sword, y'all. There's no neutrality. Do you know that? Neutrality. There's no neutral ground. You're either gathering men together or you're scattering men abroad. That's, that's scripture. That's just Bible. You're either gathering men together or you're, I'm not doing either one. You can argue with the word if you want, but you'll be wrong. Not making a choice 
is still making a choice. So we look at this. Now we're back to the king. The king and Elisha, what's going on? Let's unfold the scene. The king's asking was greater than his preparation. Is your asking greater than your preparation? Come on, we got to get the preparation. If you truly believe what you're asking for, you'll prepare for what you're asking. But if our asking is, it's faithless. It's faithless not to prepare for what we're asking for. He said, my father, my father, he cried. We know, we just talked about that. He's asking for this anointing. Elisha spent a good amount of time serving. We know that. The king, we don't see him serving. When you're serving, you're getting ready to realize the full victory. That's the greatest test. The greatest test in the kingdom of God for advancement is if you can pass the test of service. And you know how long? How long will I have to be a servant? That's a good question. How long will I have to be a servant until you no longer count days of being a servant? Until you no longer notice it? Until serving is the highest achievement and the greatest goal. So the victory here in in this story, it consisted of two steps. It was a two-step process, right? First, what did he have to do? It was a prophetic demonstration. He had to take the arrows, and then the old sick prophet gets up. I can just imagine him raising up in his bed, right, and wrapping his arms around the king with the bow in his hand, you know, pulling the bow out. The prophet was too weak to shoot the arrow. He held hand over hand. He wrapped his arm around him, and he said, he pulled it back, and he said, release it out the east window. And he shot the arrow, and it flew out the window, out of sight, into the unseen. And he made the declaration, that is the arrow of victory over Syria. Who's going to win? Huh? Israel. Because he just said it, right? That's the arrow of victory. That's the word of the Lord. King, you're going to complete, you're, you're victorious over Syria. Done. Done. Then he says, step two. Pick up the arrows. See, I want us to understand that when the arrow left the room, something had been finished. When the arrow left the the room and it went into the unseen, something was finished. Now, we've got to take what's finished in the unseen And we've got to get the seen participants, the king. We've got to get the seen participant operating from the unseen, finished, to the seen reality to see that reality. This story is the perfect example of Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of the... So is it unreasonable to think that the arrow of Christ's victory was launched 2,000 years ago and you 
have defeated every enemy already in Christ. Did the arrow hit its target? Did the arrow of Christ's victory hit its target? Let's go back to what, what you thought I said. Did the arrow of Elisha's prophetic word hit its target? Because the word does not return void. It will accomplish whatever it is sent forth to do. Let me just quote that for you. Isaiah 55, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, God speaking, higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your th- as the heavens are higher than the earth. My thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. But, so we've got a problem right there, don't we? If God's thoughts and his ways are that much higher than mankind's thoughts and ways, we ought to just close the doors and go home. Because I can't reach the unseen God. I can't think his thoughts. I can't know his ways. Ah, but the story goes on. Just like the rain and the snow descend from heaven and they water the earth. So what does the rain and snow do? It connects heaven to earth. The rain and the snow falls from heaven and it waters the earth. Then get this, so shall my word be. My, so what, what did I just say? What did I just say? Wait, 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 wait. What did I just say? So just like the rain and snow connect the unseen to the seen, there's something coming called your word that's going to connect the unseen to the seen. And it's going to accomplish something just like the rain and snow do. So, and Jesus, in the beginning was the, and the word was made flesh. So Jesus, just like the rain and snow came from heaven to water the earth, Jesus descended to this planet. He didn't descend. He came through the belly of Mary, the virgin, the womb. And he entered this planet as the word of God. And he, as the word, did what the word was promised by the prophet Isaiah, will accomplish what it is sent to do. It will not return void. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he did not return void. He accomplished everything that he had descended like rain and snow to this earth to do. He accomplished it. And now that accomplishment has filled this whole earth with fullness. And he is seated as the head of one governing body on earth. Oh, we call it the church. We call it the church kind of haphazardly and arrogantly. 
loudly and obnoxiously and slanderously. But Jesus said, that's my church. That's my governing body, my actual body on earth in whom I have given the opportunity to experience the fullness, the full measure of my sacrifice. It's just too bad that we got a bunch of kings who stumbled in to the prophetic chamber to hear the word of God, but they don't know what they've come in to ask for. My father, my father, and the chariots of Israel, I'd just like to get a blessing today. Not too much. That's the problem with this story. You see, when we look at this, we understand that this is a faith walk. We walk by faith and not by sight. Step two, take the arrow, strike the ground. So what happened? And he just tap, 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 done. What happened between step one and step two? I'm glad you asked. The same thing that happens to all of us. The room gets crowded. Oh, man, the room got so crowded in there. I mean, it filled up. It filled up. I mean, people started showing up. You're like, wait, you're reading a different version than I am. They all showed up. They all, everybody. Who showed up, Andrea? Well, let me show you after I read 2 Corinthians 10 and 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. The prophetic's gone out. Now, who showed up? Well, a whole group of arguments did. And a whole group of pretensions did. And a whole group of every kind of controversy that would argue against the knowledge of the prophetic word that's as sure as shooting. It's as done as done can get to put a fork in it. It is done. But the victories, the question of the victory is still in the room. And so we, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So the arrow of promise had hit its target, bam, done. It's in the unseen. It's done. It's finished. For no, how, no matter how many promises of God that he has made, no matter how many promises God has made, I tried to look it up one time. There's so many different versions of how many promises are in the Bible. You can, they're all good, so it's okay. They are all what? They are all yes. And so through him, the amen, 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 the amen is spoken by us, spoken by us to the glory of God. So the promise, he says, is yes. It's your agreement with the yes. You can be healed. Your redemption is secure. See, I'm the yes. You can have all things that you ask in prayer, believing. Yes, amen. amen. That's it. See, you're, it's finding a target. The yes is already spoken in Christ. Will you be the amen? Man. That's all he's looking for is an amen in the room. Someone who says, yes, I, I, so be it. That's what amen means. So be it. That's, that's what this means. 
So what was, what, what it mattered, and here's what it comes down. In that room, and for us today, what was planned before time was announced in time. And it was completed in the fullness of time. And it stands fixed for all time. That's the miracle of the cross, burial, resurrection, ascension, and enthronement of Christ. And it is the most powerful fulfillment of every promise and accomplishment that you, you need a demon removed, done. You need sickness removed, done. You need salvation, done. You need your meat and your needs met, done. Do you, do you see? It's, it, this is just the book. This is just the book. It's done. It's completely fit. The cross, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and enthronement. That is the arrow that has been launched into the unseen. It is finished in the unseen. To find the king's unbelief, though, we have to look a tad deeper. Now, I'm going to read to you back up in that same 13 chapter. I'm going to pick up verse 2. His, in his heritage, Jehu was his grandpa. You can read about Jehu. He was a wild man. He did some good stuff, but he was wild. I wouldn't say he's godly. Do we get that confused sometimes? Just because someone's anointed, when, when a prophet is sent to anoint a man and he says, I want you to anoint him and run, this is not going to be pretty. Pour the oil on his head and run. Because just because God's going to use somebody to get a job done doesn't necessarily make them righteous. I mean, that, can, that happens in politicians all the time, y'all. That's where we get confused about things. See, just because that God's going to move and he's about to, I mean, he'll put, a, he'll put a wicked ruler in office because he wants to start judging. And then he wants to see if his church, who has the fullness, who feels all things, his body on earth, will they actually do anything to see what are they going to do with this? And then he'll... He'll bring in a ruler and he'll like someone like Josiah, and he'll give a reprieve and a move of God. So see, we hear, we, we see here the heritage is Jehu, that's his grandpa. The history is Jehoahaz, that's his dad. I don't expect those to mean anything to you. I just want you to plug in those names here. Verse 2: Jehoahaz, Daddy, Daddy did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And God gave them continually into the king the hand of, the, of Hazael, king of Syria, and into the hand of Benadad, the son of Hazael. So, there was not left, now listen, there was not left to dad. The king's in the room. Here's dad. There was not left to Jehoahaz, dad, an army of more than 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 footmen for the king of for the king of Syria had destroyed had trampled them like dust under his feet now now let's put all this into context there it is 
There's the reason for the lackluster participation that led to marginal victory. Is, the pro- is he going to beat Syria? Wipe them out. Now, let's just put this in our present-day context. Do you realize just last week, America and Great Britain went on a bombing campaign and they, ra- and they hit targets in what country? Syria. Interesting. Disobedience has consequences, doesn't it? For generations. He had here an opportunity that he would completely destroy Syria. But he struck the arrows three times. You know how many times he beat them? Because the word of the Lord is the word of the Lord. It's something you can take to the bank. So we look here, but what happened? What happened? Here's what my proposal to you that happened. That here is the king, and he was drawing from information. He was drawing, this is most important, he was drawing from information, not revelation. And all the informants were there. He had ears to hear history and not ears to hear prophetic destiny. See, when, what happened is this. Now, we can look at him and go, shame, shame. Everybody knows your name. But here's the reality. Let's just boil this down and bring it home. It's his history and his heritage that got the better of him. Because whenever he heard about a victory that was already prescribed and finished, signed, sealed, but it wasn't delivered yet. It was as good as delivered, but he had to participate on. It was in the unseen Just like Christ's victory is in the unseen, but you're in the seen, and it's up to you to have faith in the seen to reach for the victory that's in the unseen and participate in a way that brings the accomplishment to the seen. See, this is no different than how we operate today. But see, I want to read that statement again. He was drawing from information, not revelation. Have y'all ever drawn from information? How does this work? So when he hears, Brian, you're going to beat Syria, instantly what does he do? He goes and he checks out his army. Ah. That's the, he goes in, one idea of what kind of anointing, what kind of prophetic word he might get. And when he hears a prophetic word, you're going to beat your most rivaled enemy who's already put you in a chokehold and took everything from you. And he goes, take the arrows, tap the ground. Because what's going in his mind is what's going in all of our minds. How could I possibly? I'm looking at my resources. How could I possibly do that? I've only got this much in the bank. How could I possibly do that? I've only got this big of a standing army. How could I possibly do that? I've only got this much education. How could I possibly do that? I don't read well. I don't talk well. I don't sing well. I don't look good. I, I, I. Tap, tap. Did he have to have a big army to defeat Syria? 
Why? Because he had the word of the Lord. He had the finished word. Why, why are you living in? We, we can look at him and go, I can't believe that guy. What an idiot. What was he thinking? He left Assyria. We're still bombing them. There are consequences. But what are you leaving around for next generation? Because you won't engage. Because you're too scared. Because you don't think you have the resources. Because you have no confidence in your... It seems like it's... All of a sudden, the king's not looking so bad. So if we live from the unseen to the seen, that's what we're called to do. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We live from the unseen to the seen. Not from the seen to the seen. That's what everybody does. See, the whole gang was there, and I'm closing. Jehu was there. Jehoahaz was there. Grandpa was there. Dad was there. Their defeats were there. See, that's what happens in our families. All the, 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 the mess in your family, the, the heritage. I, mean, my, I come from a long line of losers. You know what I'm talking about. My daddy was a pig-stealing, no-good, lint-licking, whatever. I mean, we've heard it all. Right? I don't care. Weren't you crucified with Christ? I mean, if you're not crucified with Christ, you're still very much attached to, your, attached to your family heritage, and that's probably about all you can hope for. That's about as good as your good news gets. I hope that they had some money. You've got a trust fund or something because that's about it. It's all you're going to get is in this world. But when I'm, I'm crucified with Christ, Stacey, I've been cut off. I, I, was, I died from my old history and heritage. Sure, I remember it, but it has, no, it has no impact on me because the arrow of Christ's victory has been launched into eternity, and it is established as a done deal. So all I got to do is just step over that old carcass of Andrea and go, well, I'm just moving past that because now I'm stepping into all the resources that God has. I don't have to look at my army. I don't have to look at my pedigree. I don't have to look at my resources or my education or my bank account, I have God. And that's how I'm going to live. How are we going to get revival? We're going to have to have a people who stand up and say, I can actually do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're going to have to have a people who stand up and say, the wicked flee when no man pursues. The righteous are as bold as a lion. I'll not be fleeing today. This is just what, this is how I read it. This is how the Bible impacts me. The whole gang was there. The king was drawing his conclusions from his historical experiences. I don't, I don't know what's happened to you in the past. I'm sure some of it was bad. Raise your hand high if you've ever had something bad happen to you in the past. Wow. Okay. You're in good company. You're in bad company. That's, I've heard that song. This is true. The king, his, his, your historical experiences, I'm sorry, I'm sorry they happened to you. Now can we move on? A 
Okay, let's just finish. That sucks. Let's move on. You know, I'll commiserate with you about that long, but let's not commemorate it for the rest of your life. Let's just move. Let's move. We got victory. Our experience should be the cross. The cross is my experience. Christ followers have died and resurrected. You are buried with him in baptism, wherein you also are risen with him through faith. And where am I risen to? Seated far above all principalities and powers and rulers of wit. Golly, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But yet it's not I that live. It's Christ living inside of me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith in the one who died and gave himself for me. Why are you victorious? Because of what Christ did. Not because you're smart or good looking, though you are. But because of what Christ did. I mean, I can't lose for women. We are, e- we are either participating in the seen or the unseen. And that's where it lands. We participate with victory. We, were, if we, we participate with victory if we receive what we accomplished, what was accomplished by Christ at the cross. No more lackluster participation. No more marginal victories. I want to have the opportunity to give Christ the full reward for his suffering. I don't want to turn up on that day with a whole bunch of excuses about my heritage, history, and my habits. I don't want to turn up on that day and say, I couldn't because of Bessie did the, the thing on the thing, and they posted that on Facebook, and they unfriended me. And I wallered around and quit church and got drunk and had 17 affairs. I mean, you know, this is how it works. Before I show back up and lick my wounds and try it again. He needs participants here on earth. And a choice has, must be made. And I really am closing right here, and we're going to leave. It's only 8.01. I've done good. Here's a quote from one of my favorite authors, Watchman Nee. Listen, God's working today is in accordance with a specific law, namely the free will on earth. That's the law he's working with, free will on earth. God refuses to use his own will to overwhelm man. Let us not at all be surprised at this fact. God is in heaven, yet all his movements on earth must first be decided and agreed upon by the will on earth. God must have man's will in harmony with his will. That is a stunning statement. So 
How many of you believe that Christ's victory is 100% done? How many of you are born again? You are able. Not because of what you've done. So let's not cop out with lackluster participation and only obtain a marginal victory. I don't want to shrink back. I want to go all in. I want to go, I don't care if people think I'm crazy. The world's crazy. I at least want to match them. I'll, I'll foam, I'll stretch, I'll fall to my knees, I'll contort, I'll rave, I'll do whatever I have to to wake people up and get them off of their blessed assurance and get them out the door doing something for God because we have all we need and more than enough to accomplish everything that Christ has said. All the promises of God are yes and he is waiting for thee. Stand to your feet. This is my last time. Daddy, come here. You're going to close in prayer. Come in. There you go. Tonight, I'm... Not my daddy. I know he looks like it. <laughs> I felt that. <laughs> Praise God. Well, I hope you're excited. Um, that Not that it's her last Wednesday. We'll be... Uh, I'm not even going to go there. Okay. Tonight... Um, Andrew, uh, was it this morning? You were listening to the church in China. It was a representative from the church in China. Tear your heart out. There's a man who is in prison tonight and has been there for several years and will be there for several more years because he preached John 3.16. Do you know that 18 years and younger are not allowed to go even to the state church, in church at all. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are being persecuted day after day after day. They're found with a Bible. Man was preaching on the radio, 14 years in prison. 14 years in prison. Folks, we need to lift them up, amen? Well, tonight, as we pray over a missions offering, let's pray for the church in China. Let's pray for the church in China right now, the church. Father, we come before you, Lord, tonight. Merciful and mighty God, we just believe that there is power in your word. There's power in your word. Lord, I just thank you, Lord God, that, Lord, the, the church in China, Lord God, are facing, Lord, such persecution. For them to declare that they are a child of God, Lord, they are they will be suffering, Lord God, such violent attacks against the enemy. I'm just asking the Lord right now for your protection, your and Lord that you will empower them and strengthen them. And I pray, Lord God, that this country will be overtaken, Lord God, by the church. 
I pray the spirit of the Lord and angels to be dispatched, to begin to minister and reveal just like you do, Lord, in, in countries, Lord God, that are steeped in Muslim. Lord, you can, Lord, reach into this communist country, Lord God, and show them, Lord God, the light of the glory of God. And Lord, I just pray tonight that you will bless this church, Lord, that we would have the strength and the courage to stand, Lord God, in this day that you've called us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Appreciate you. Thank you. We'll see you here. I'm still believing.